Chapter 34 of Kit and Kitty by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 34 2 to 1. Never were any luck in a wedding as were put off from a pint today. For why? Why, because it be flying in the face of the Lord as hath appointed un. Knowing that Tabby was very often right in her prophecies and could prove them right, even when they were wrong, as most prophets can, I begged her not to say a word about that to my darling, because she was a little superstitious, although sprung from the very highest form of science. But science very seldom keeps its dates, and to make them tally, we had postponed our day from Tuesday even till Thursday, for Captain Fairthorne had written again to say that he could not be with us on the Tuesday, but was almost sure that he could manage it if we would only leave it till two days later. My uncle had frowned and said, not a single hour. If his wheels and his wires are more to him than his only child, let him stop with them. But you must leave it to Kitty. Such a question is for her. Vexed as I was, I could not deny this, and she pleaded so well, though with reason on her side, that we vented our anger on the absent man and only our affection and goodwill on her. But the one who made the greatest grievance of it was my aunt, Miss Parslow. She had hurried her dressmaker to the verge of mutiny, and made her sit up, either in person or by deputy, two whole nights, and she felt that she would have to pay deeply for this, and now here it was, all needles. I have the greatest mind not to come at all, she wrote, and if it were anything but pure compassion, you may be quite sure that I would wash my hands of you. Men manage everything in this world, even the things that they understand least, and you will see what comes of it. If I come on Thursday, I shall be quite unprepared, though I should have been in perfect readiness on Tuesday. This was a hard saying, but we agreed that she knew what she meant, and could explain it to her liking. And seeing that the ladies were now so full of reason, I thought that I would have another try at Miss Coldpepper. I had ventured to call upon that lady once, while the preparations were in full swing, but she said that she was not at home, and of course she must know best, though I had seen her walking in her great camellia house. My uncle Cornelius had been of opinion that, even if she would not honor our church with her presence, she could scarcely escape from the duty of sending her former visitor and favorite something very handsome as a wedding present. A silver tea service was the least thing he could think of, but unluckily the last thing that occurred to her is needful. She had made it a grievance, as she wanted one, that Miss Fairthorne should have dared to go to Widow Cutlam's, when everybody in the village knew how shockingly the widow had behaved to Mrs. Marker. But all this appeared to me to be very small talk now, for I was in a generous and large condition, such as is only too apt to credit all fellow creatures with the like expansion. It should never be said of me that any petty pride had prevented me from holding out the olive branch, whether to be gilded or even to be peeled, at a time when I was hoping to be crowned with myrtle. Scorning all considerations of a silver teapot, I went to Cold Pepper Manor and rang gently. Mrs. will see you this time, said my friend Charles, who had tasted our strawberries many a time, when he durst not steal any more at home. She is all agog about you, sir, though she shams to know nothing. Happiness to you and dear Miss Kitty, sir. The least I could do was to give him half a crown, for he had always appeared to me to be a worthy fellow. He slipped it into his hornet-colored waistcoat and bawled out, Mr. Christopher Orchardson, as if I had come in a coach and four. 
"'I am pleased to see you, Mr. Orchardson,' said the lady of the hall as I made a low bow. "'Take a chair and tell me what you are doing. I never hear anything that happens in the village.' I am not at all certain what reply I made, being fluttered by the force of habit in her stately presence, but she was better pleased by this than she would have been by any assumption of ease and self-command. Although I hear so little, a report has reached me, she went on with a smile which was not at all disdainful, that you are about to marry Kitty Fairthorne. If so, you are a wonderfully fortunate young man. It would add very greatly to our happiness, madam. I ventured to say, though with some misgivings, if you would be kind enough to give us your good wishes. Miss Fairthorne has not been to call upon you because, because she was not sure that you would wish it, and she is acting entirely without the consent of her stepmother, who is your sister. I hope you will not think the worse of her for that. The lady has never been very kind to her. Kitty was quite right in not coming here. It would have placed me in an unpleasant position." I have not seen much of my sister for years, but I cannot enter into such matters, and you have done right in coming to me thus. Certainly you both have my good wishes, and though Kitty might have looked for a much higher marriage, I may say that without any disrespect to you, I believe that she will be happier in a very simple life. You will understand that I cannot be present, under the peculiar circumstances, neither will you expect me to receive Kitty here, when she is Mrs. Orchardson. She is no relative of mine, and she has chosen her own path. But I like her none the less, and you may tell her that. She has plenty of proper pride, and would resent my patronage. I was told that the wedding was to be today. Why have you put it off? You are unwise. She looked as if she knew something which would alarm me, if declared but I did not presume to ask about it and simply told her the cause of the delay. You may expect him, but you will not see him, she answered as if she knew more than we did. Don't put it off another day, if you wish it to be at all, but it is no affair of mine. Good morning to you. I returned in an anxious state of mind, for she had clearly dismissed me that I might ask no questions and instead of going straight to my uncle's house, I hurried to that of the widow to make sure that my darling was safe and all due care observed. After what had been already done to Kitty, how could I tell that there was no plot yet in store? My bodily strength was restored by this time, and I felt myself a match for almost any man, and surely intense and incessant devotion must vanquish unholy pursuit and vile designs. All we knew of our enemies at present was that they had retired from the scene of their defeat, and locked up the cottage where they had felt so sure a victory. But my uncle Cornelius had good reason for believing that his premises were watched, and a couple of his men had been tempted to drink by some mysterious stranger, who showed the greatest interest in our ways and works and manners. And the worst of it was that the river, being almost at our doors, and not frequented then as it is now, afforded such a space for roguish travel that there ought to be a paling put up against it, with tenter-hooks and wire netting on the top, if any man desired to keep his garden to himself. For the people who come up, as they get away from London, seem to claim the country more and more, and to think that it was made for nothing else except to be a change for them. And they reason that as a river must have banks, those banks are a part of it, and the whole belongs to them. My beloved, who was both my banks and the channel of all my life as well, had not been left alone all this time, 
with only widow Cutlam to amuse her. Otherwise she would have had a sorry time, for that widow had but two subjects of discourse, the merits of her late husband and the scarcity of all vegetables. But a very sharp young lady, Miss Gertrude Triggs, about three years older than my kitty, being in need of country air after an attack of nettle rash, had kindly consented to come and occupy the best room at Widow Cutlam's. At first I was uneasy, for if Kitty were to catch that complaint after all her other troubles, was she likely to look well upon the bridal day? But Dr. Sippet said that he would warrant no infection, and so Miss Triggs came and occupied, and certainly she helped to set off the complexion, upon which it was impossible to imagine any rash. At first I was not fond of Miss Triggs, for she had too much sting in her words and ways, and I made no allowance for what she had been through. And to my mind women should never try to sting, being apt to get the worst of it, as even do the bees, and intended more by nature to do the honey-making. But my poor ideas have always been old-fashioned, and I am sorry for the sake of others that it should be so. But when I came to understand Gertie Triggs, and to value her real friendship for my dear one, I acknowledged, as a man should do, that I had been a gabby. Not only had she protected Kitty at school and even lent her underclothing when she got no supplies from her stepmother, but she had actually made an inroad into Bullrag Castle to try a round with the great lady herself on behalf of the innocent captive. She was rapidly discomfited, of course. She had resolved to show the truth, but she was quickly shown the door, and though she maintained that she had triumphed, it may have been in logic, but it was not so, in fact. And the result to herself had been this nasty nettle rash. However, as she got over that and put the air of our garden upon her cheeks, I began to esteem her and find her rather pretty. It was settled by the laws of nature that she should be bridesmaid, and Uncle Corney found another not connected with much trade, yet able to provide her own outfit. My uncle said though not to Kitty, for he was quite a gentleman to her throughout, that he could not discover any call on him to fit everybody up with gewgaws. It was her father's place, if he wanted things to be done in proper style, to come and see to them himself, or at any rate to send directions, and the money to have them carried out. Instead of that, he had left everything to us, kept us in trouble about the day, and perhaps driven off Miss Parslow and her twenty thousand pounds, it was plain that he thought it a higher duty to fit out his ship than his only child. Considering all this, Uncle Corney was only surprised at his own generosity. But when I joined him in that surprise, he cut me very short, and asked what I knew about him. It was natural enough that he should be cross, and I told him so, which only made him worse. Nevertheless, when the true day came, which I always recall with gratitude and wonder at a grace so far beyond my merits, Everybody behaved as if there were nothing but peace and goodwill in the world. We received a telegram quite early that the ship was ordered to sail that day, and the captain could only send his blessing. Kitty shed some tears, but all the rest of us were pleased, because it fulfilled our predictions, and my uncle was proud to give the bride away, and at the same time to keep her, as he neatly said. Miss Parslow came over in style, with a mass of white flowers piled high on the seat before her, and wearing her silver-gray silk dress, which set her off to great advantage, and she presented the bride with a silver basket, fit either for flowers or fruit, and containing a very neat check for a hundred guineas. Sam Henderson acted as my best man, 
and did everything better than I did, for I scarcely knew my right hand from my left. Mrs. Wilcox was present, and so was Mrs. Rolls, without whom we should never have been there, and Selsey Bill, of course, and every man who possessed a top hat in the parish. And to our amazement, Miss Coldpepper was sitting in her curtain pew, although she had said that she would not come, and after the service she kissed my kitty and said that she would give her something by and by. What my darling wore I have not the least idea, or at least I had not on that day, though I came to know too well afterwards. But all the men said, and nearly all the women too, that she was the fairest and sweetest and most lovely of all the brides ever seen in Sunbury, which was no little thing to say, for our village is celebrated in that way. And she behaved with such grace and goodness that it seemed as if those blessings must be multiplied upon her. Several women cried to think that she should look so Christian after all the treatment that she had received, for Mrs. Rolls declared that she had been in a wire cage, and if I were to try to straighten half the crooked tales they told, I never should find any time for a separate word with Kitty. Only I remember that when she came and kissed me in her simple and loving and bewitching way, I saw the gleam of tears in her deep blue eyes, and when I asked without words what it was, she answered, I should have liked to have one kiss from father. This proof of her tenderness increased my adoration, for an affectionate daughter must become a loving wife. Then I took away my treasure to be mine alone, and Kit and Kitty, for the time, are one. End of chapter 34